Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Natvaham kamaye rajam nasvargam napunarbavam kamaye dukhataptanam praninam artinashanam O Lord, I don't want any kingdom, nor heavenly pleasures, nor even escape from rebirth. But I do want that the suffering of all beings, tormented by the miseries of life, may cease. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Peace, peace, peace. So, when I decided to speak on meeting Mr. Death... It was actually in January. In fact, it was Swami Vivekananda's puja. And um, the reason I thought about it was that every Swamiji puja in the morning, we have a reading of the Kata Upanishad. And in that Upanishad, when we do it every year in Southern, all of our branches in Southern California, we have a reading of the Kata Upanishad because Swami Vivekananda was very fond of it. And so we read it. And in this Upanishad, Nachiketa, who's a young boy, goes down and meets meets Yama, the king of death, and he asks him questions on death and immortality. So it's a very inspiring text. It's really quite beautiful. It's short. It's easy to read. It's a readable Upanishad. So I suggest that during this time when we all have time to read, that, that you get a hold of that Upanishad, especially the translation by Prabhavananda Manchester. It's utterly gorgeous. I highly recommend you read that. It's it's really very inspiring. So when I decided on the topic of meeting Mr. Death, the coronavirus was not an issue. It was not a topic. It was, it was something out there in Wuhan, China, that really didn't have you know what didn't take up anybody's mental space, and now it takes all of our mental space. People all over the world. There's no place in the world. At this point, that isn't touched by it. Even now, they're discovered that um, some researcher has brought it into the indigenous tribes in the Amazon, and they're worried about what that can do. So it's taken everybody's attention, and we're all trying to deal with the fallout of this of this coronavirus. Not only the fallout, you know, psychologically and socially, not being able to go out. But, but, but spiritually, economically, it's really hitting everybody. The world has changed a lot in a really short time, and we're struggling to kind of catch up with it. We can't get our head around it, because every day it's something like, oh, no, really? Oh, okay. So we're, every day it's a new reality, and it, we can't quite get caught up with it. Our temple is closed, and it will be until the shelter-at-home order is lifted, but uh, we want you to know that we're here. Temple is here. We do pujas in our temple in the shrine every day. We are praying not only for our friends and our families and our devotees. We're praying for everybody in the world. We're doing flower offerings. Devi Prana here is reading the Chandi. We're here. We're doing it. And we're praying for the welfare of everybody. And that's one thing we can all do, all of you out there. You don't have to be up here to be praying for everybody. Even if we're stuck in our homes, stuck in our rooms, one thing we can all band together and do 
is to pray for everybody. Prayers are very powerful. We can all pray for the health and welfare and the happiness of everybody in the whole world. That's a very powerful thing that we can do. That's one thing that we all want, the happiness and the welfare of all beings. This pandemic has brought to us at home in a very visceral way that we're all interconnected and we're all interrelated, and our happiness and our own well-being is dependent upon the happiness and the well-being of everyone on the planet. We're not isolated. No one is isolated. We thought Wuhan, China was way over there. No. There is no other. We're all in this together. So we need to, whenever we come back to that new normal, whatever it may be, we need to remember this very important truth. We're all interconnected and interrelated, and our happiness is dependent on the happiness of everybody else. So what about Mr. Death? Isn't he scary? Shouldn't we avoid him? We can't. Benjamin Franklin famously said, there's two certainties in life, death and taxation. Well, our taxation has been put off till July 15th, but death is unavoidable. It will come when it will come. You know, but Americans were really extremely good at not dealing with it. We avoid thinking about it. We avoid talking about it. We have euphemisms to say, we don't say, where's Johnny? Oh, he's dead. We don't do that. It's, it, it would be callous. It would be hurtful. So instead we say, oh, where's Johnny? Oh, he, he passed on. Johnny has left us. Our, our beloved mechanic down at the garage down the street where is he? He didn't come to work today. They couldn't bring themselves. It was too, too painful for them to say that he had died. Americans, I think it has to do with our American positivity. We don't want to talk about it or think about it because we're afraid maybe something will happen. Maybe it will kind of bring it on. Bring it. It's like, you know what? Death comes to all of us. This is absolutely going to go. So because of our, because of our fear and avoidance of it, many families haven't talked about their last wishes. Many married couples have no idea what the other person wants when they die. And it isn't like if I die, it's when we die. It isn't an if, it's a when. So we, we sort of need to have these discussions too. It's like, what would you like? What are your last wishes? Where are your papers? Where, where's, where's your, where, where's your pink slip? Where's your little thing? Because we all need to know this. It's, it's not an avoidable topic at any time. So we have all these beautiful velvet lined caskets. And when you sign up for your cremation, like we have here, they give you these gorgeous enamel urns as if you need a gorgeous enamel urn to put your ashes in the ocean or up on the mountains or the Ganges river or wherever they're going to go. But we feel the need to prettify it because we're so afraid of it. And that's not healthy. The, the sage, actually he was the eldest of the Pandava brothers, Yudhisthira, was considered the world's wisest man. And so he was, uh, the crane asked him, and the crane was really dharma in disguise, said, what is the greatest wonder in this world? And Yudhisthira correctly replied, that of all the great wonders, the greatest wonder is that every one of us every day see all other people and other beings going to their deaths, 
but we think that we ourselves will not die. It's just amazing. That is the greatest wonder. We don't see death in the United States. In India, it's kind of right in front of you. People are carrying the beers right in the streets. Right next to you might see people dying on the streets. In India, the cremations are there. You go when, when uh, a family, someone in the family has died, like the parent, the father, or the mother. The eldest son is the one who puts the torch to the body. In India, when our monks die, in Bellarmat, for example, there is the cremation, and they, everyone stands around and watches as the body is cremated. And there's a health in that. There is a beauty in that. Because there's no mystery, there's nothing ghoulish about it. The material elements that comprise this body goes back to the earth, goes back to the universe from which it came. It's part of this circle of life. It's healthy and it's beautiful. We see plants die and their seeds form new plants. Trees leave their saplings. And it's part of this circle of life. And we see it. Our problem is that we don't include ourselves in the circle. That's the greatest wonder. We see it going on all around us, and we see, ah, look, here's the sapling from that tree. We don't think, oh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm part of this circle too. We know that one day this body is going to leave us, and also the bodies of all our near and dear ones, but we don't want to include ourselves in the circle. You know, years ago, in fact, in 1962, there was an episode of The Twilight Zone, and it was called Nothing in the Dark. And in this episode, there's a very elderly, frail woman by the name of Wanda. And Wanda has been trying to outsmart death for years. She doesn't let anyone in. She doesn't go out. And she's holed up there. And one day, there's a banging at the door. Let me in. Let me in. Help me. Help me. Help me. And no, no, no. No, no, no. I can't open the door. Can't, can't let you in. Help me. Help me. I've been shot. My name's Harold. I'm a police officer. You have to let me in. No. I'm not going to let, and he said, no, you have to, I'm going to, I'm going to die, you have to help me. She opens the door, and it's this young, handsome, blonde policeman, of course he's young and handsome, it's Robert Redford in 1962, I'm not kidding, you got to see it. So it's like, she allows him to come in, but she won't touch him, because she's afraid if she touches him, he, she'll die. But he, his wounds need tending, and so she touches him and she doesn't touch. She says, oh, okay, he's okay. This isn't Mr. Death. So she, she touches him and she tends to his wounds and he's so kind and he's so nice and she relaxes. And then another banging on the door comes and this man forces himself into the door. He said, I condemn this building. He said, I gave you the eviction notice months ago. You've got to get out. This building is falling apart. It's dilapidated. It needs demolishing. And as this building is gone, a new building can't go up. It's a perfect metaphor for Wanda. Her body is giving up. It's giving out. It needs to, none, none, until she goes, new life has to come through. But she says, oh, no, 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 no. No, what am I going to, oh, no, I can't, I can't leave. I don't, I'm not going to go out of here. And then she turns to the police officer, Harold, and said, what am I going to do? And the contractor says, there's nobody there. Who are you talking to? And then, ooh, he is Mr. Death. And then she says, I don't want to die. But Harold says, no, 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 no. You have nothing to fear. And 
he coaxes her and he takes her hand and they go out the door into the sunlight and you look back and there's her body staying there. So that's how Wanda meets Mr. Death. So how do we want to meet Mr. Death? Because the time will come. How do we want to, how do we want to meet Mr. Death? The great Native American Shawnee tribe, uh, tribal leader said, Tecumseh said, when it comes your time to die, don't be like those whose hearts are filled with fear and who weep and pray for a little more time so they can live their life differently. He said, no. Sing your death song and go to death like a hero. Now, isn't that the way we would like to be? Isn't that the way that we would like to go? Swami Vivekananda never tired of saying, stand up and die game. Stand up and die game. He said, all weakness and all bondage is imagination. Don't, put a, don't cover yourself with a veil and say, I'm blind, I can't see. All bondage and all weakness is delusion. Now, what's interesting is that if you meet people who have died and have come back, and I'm, I'm sure all of us know somebody, we know several people who have died and they've come back, they have these incredible, beautiful, life-changing experiences. A couple that I know in particular said they both felt enveloped and surrounded by love. Death to them was not terrible at all. It was a little harder coming back to the land of the living. Death in itself is not bad, but it's our fear of death that puts us into absolute knots. Fear is really the enemy here. It's not death. Today, so many people, so many of us, are anxious and worried and fearful. Death is inevitable, but it's our fear of it that is, that's what we really need to deal with. And there is a wonderful and extremely practical verse in the Panchadasi, which is a 14th century Adwaita text that Swami Swahananda translated, in fact. And in it, this, the text says, Yad bhavi natad bhavi, bhavi chet natad anyata, iti chinta bishagno yam bodho, brahma nivartakaha. What will not happen will not happen. What will happen will happen. This knowledge destroys the poison of anxiety and removes all delusion. Now this is one of those, one of those verses, those sayings, that's really annoying if someone else tells you that. It's like, your shoes are untied. <laughs> Don't worry, you're being anxious. Just what will happen. It's like, but if we remember that ourselves, if we think of it ourselves, it's really helpful. When we start getting wound up and thinking, oh my God, what if this, what if that, but what about that? It's like, whoa, pull back. What will not happen will not happen. What will happen will happen. The knowledge of this destroys the, destroys the poison of anxiety. Anxiety is really a poison. It weakens us. It ruins our present. It, re- it ruins our ability to enjoy and appreciate this precious human life that we have right now. It poisons our life. It also, remembering this removes, they say, the, the, the poison of delusion, removes our delusion. 
So it's a really helpful thing. So when we get anxious and fearful about COVID-19 or about the mudslides that came down with the fire or the fires that happened around here or a cancer diagnosis or a death of those we love, we have to remember this verse. And then we have to pull back a little bit and say, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling fearful. Okay, what am I afraid of? What is it? We need to pull back from just going on to the circle of, of worry and anxiety. It's like, okay, what am I afraid of? Pull back. Okay, well, I'm afraid of dying. That's normal. I'm afraid of being sick. That's normal. I'm afraid of being in pain. Okay, that's normal. Let's go further. Let's analyze it. Okay, let's say I'm afraid of dying. Then we say to ourselves, okay, who or what is dying? What is dying here? That's when we have to remember that when we talk about dying, it's only this, this outer portion. The human person, all beings have three portions of their personality. This outer portion, this kind of the skin of the avocado or the, the skin of an orange, this external portion is the body. That is the only thing that dies. Interior to that, when we go deeper, when we go deeper beyond this body, we go to the mind. We can think of that as the flesh of the fruit. Now, by mind, I'm not talking about that itsy-bitsy, teeny portion of the mind that's conscious. That is like the thinnest veneer. It's like a speck of dust compared to this enormous contents of what we have in the mind. Because this mind is includes the unconscious and the subconscious, which really means talking about all these impressions from all of our prior millions of lives. All that is stored in this vast container that we so cheerfully call the mind. It's all of these samskaras, these impressions from previous lives, along with the ego, along with our intellect, along with our intuition, our desires, our everything. All that is included in this vast mind. The mind is not material. The brain is material, and it will decay, and it will die. We all know people are kind of losing it as they go along. The mind goes with the Atman into the next birth. It goes in seed form, attaches itself to the Atman into the next incarnation. After the mind, if we go even further into this deepest portion of our personality, is that which is the truest and deepest and the only real portion of who we are. And that is the Atman. The Atman is is non-material. It is infinite. It is pure and perfect. Absolute freedom is its nature. And that is who we really are. There is absolutely no difference between Atman and Brahman. It's just a difference of semantics. Atman being, we think of it within the body. Brahman, Atman, all-pervading, infinite, birthless, deathless, unaffected by anything of the body or the mind. And that is who we are. That is undying. It is not affected by any of it. The truest part of us is not touched by anything. Everything that is external to the Atman is material and it will change and it will die. Swami Asheshananda never tired of saying, 
all compounded matter is bound to decay. And that's true. We have to remember that. But humans don't like change and we don't like decay. When things are going good, we want to preserve it in amber and have this be that way forever. It doesn't work that way. The Sanskrit word for the world is samsara, which means that which flows. That which flows like a river, it flows down. You can't change it. You can't stop it. You never put your finger in the same river twice. One second it's this, one second it's that. And that's what life in this world is like. Eternal change, eternal change, samsara. We can't stop the flow of time. The Sanskrit word for time is kala, and the Sanskrit word for death, one of the words for death, is mahakala, the great beyond time, that which is beyond time. So when we talk about death, we're just talking about this external layer. That's it. The external portion goes back to the elements that create it, and that is the only thing that goes. It's like the shed, the skin, the snake shedding its skin. The snake doesn't say, oh my God, my skin. It's like, yeah, that felt good to get off. And many people who die say what a relief they felt once their body was shed, that they were out of that thing which confined them and gave them so much grief. In the Markandeya Purana, there is a wonderful story of Queen Mandalasa, who is an enlightened being. It's so nice to have them talk about women who are enlightened beings. They're not, you don't hear about them too much because they're women. Anyway, she was a queen, maybe that's why we hear about her. But she was a realized soul. And in this Markandeya Purana, she sings this lullaby to her newborn son, the prince. And it's very long, but I'll give you just a couple of verses. He, he begins to cry. And she holds him and she sings this lullaby. You are pure, enlightened, and spotless. Wake up from this deep slumber of delusion. You are in a body, which is like a jacket that gets worn out day by day. Do not think that you are the body. This body is like a jacket that you are tied to. And you have it for the purpose of experiencing good and bad karmas. It's really helpful to remember this. Okay, we've got this jacket. We've got this jacket that we're wearing, and one day that jacket's going to come off. We have this jacket to experience our good and bad karmas. Fine. It's a very temporary possession. So what happens to us when we take off this jacket? What goes then? What goes on then? Well, we go to some place. We go to some temporary heaven or some temporary not-quite-so-nice-a-place where we experience our good and bad karmas unless we... Are, want to be free unless we are free. Then, after we experience this in our, these temporary locations, then our own desires, our attachments, our good and bad karmas bring us back down to the earth with a thud, and we go back again to birth, death, rebirth, again and again, unless we do something about it. The, as you know, the Hindu view of life is cyclical. The view of time is cyclical. So we're on kind of repeat mode. Birth, death, rebirth. We don't have to work at it. It goes on automatically on repeat mode, on repeat mode, on repeat mode, unless we do something about it. This is what we have to do. This will, the goal of life 
is not to stay on this repeat mode. The goal of life is to get off the wheel of birth, life, death, rebirth again and again. We got to get out of Groundhog Day. It's not fun again and again and again. So the goal of life is to know who we are, which is eternal, perfect. We are infinite. We're not subject to birth and death. We become deluded into think that we're limited by this body and the mind. We're not. So we have to remember what Queen Mandalasa said. We're pure, enlightened, and spotless as we are. We are perfect. We are birthless. We are deathless. Our real nature is absolute freedom. We are not the mercy of anything, let alone a virus. Now, to do this, in order to remember this, we have to remember that the more that we cling to this body, the more that we cling to our mind, the more we are going to suffer. The more that we cling to our small identity, the more it's going to hurt. Because all of these things that we insist on clinging to are transient, and they are going to go, and the harder we hold on, the more it's going to hurt when we are forced to let go. Swami Vivekananda always said, hold your hand open. Always hold your hand open because if you close it and you clench your fist, life itself will force it open, and that is very painful. Let it go. So the more that we cling to this body, the more that we identify with the body, the more I identify with the, with the ups and downs of the body or the ups and downs with the moods of our mind, the more we identify, the more we identify with our attachments, our houses and our possessions, our pets, our family, our friends, our relatives, our egos, our opinions, our political affiliations, our little loves and our little hates, the more we cling to that, the more we're going to suffer. And the more, because we're hypnotizing ourselves more and more, pulling ourselves and identifying ourselves more with these things that are so transient and will pass away. Because when we're dead, we're not going to really care if we're Democrat or Republican. We're not going to worry about it. We're not going to worry about paying our bills, you know? We're just not. We're not going to worry about whether there's gluten in that bread. We're just not going to care. It's going to be so, like, not important. And if every day we were to wake up and think, today's the day I die, we would feel so much happier. It's like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I mean, it doesn't say you don't have to plan, but it's like one day it will be the day that we die. So then we don't, if we do that, then we don't get caught up in the small stuff. It's not like, oh my God, what happens if I, it's like, you know what, in the big picture, really doesn't care, really doesn't matter. Our attachment to everything outside of this impedes our own freedom and it makes us forget our own divinity. We forget the innate joy of that self within us. And when we forget that joy, what's the point? That's, a, the, that's who we are, is having that innate joy. And if we lose it because we've tied ourselves into knots, then we've done it to ourselves. We, we've put the veil over our head and say that we're blind. There's no point. People, people often say, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want the pain that goes with dying. And that's valid. I mean, nobody wants to go out of their way to, to, to experience pain. And we often feel bad when we see people dying and we see them going through this pain. And we think, oh, my God, what I would do to help, to, to help stop that pain. But then I read this article by Swami Ashokananda. And he said, you know, the suffering that often goes with death is really a blessing of the Lord. It's really a kindness of the Lord. And I thought, that's cold. 
<laughs> and then I read further, and he said, he said, it's often that that makes us give up our attachment to the body. And he said, imagine you're born in a house, and you've lived in this house your whole life, and you love that house. You love all the possessions in it. It's so warm and comfortable. And then someone says, you got to get out of this house. It's like, no. <laughs> I'm not going to leave this house. I like my house. It's my house. You say, well, well, no, no, you, you got to leave that house. They say, no, this is where I'm born. This is where I'm going to stay. This is who I am. It's this house. They say, no, you are, you're, you're being evicted. Uh-uh, uh-uh. We will not leave that house until it's burning down and some two-by-four is going to hit us on the head or unless it's falling apart and so decrepit that we're going to fall through the floor like like." Wanda is not about to leave that house. We won't do it. Because this body we like to have for the experience of pleasure. We like our enjoyments. I mean, I love my coffee and my chocolate. And it's like this body is useful for enjoying the sunshine, for, you know, getting out the weeds, for doing all these things that we enjoy this body having pleasure for. We're not so crazy about the body when it gives us pain. But we will stay in this body if there's any chance of having lots of joy further on down the line. So the suffering that often comes is, to, is like that burning house or the, it's like, oh, oh, you know, it's not bad that I'm getting evicted from this. This is not fun anymore. So there's, there's another way of looking at the suffering too. It may not be such a bad thing. Also, we have to remember that in the Hindu tradition, physical suffering is seen as tapasya. It's actually a way of burning off karma. So there's a way of thinking of that too. It's like, okay, and Swami Prabhavananda used to say that often people in their last birth will have to go through an enormous amount of suffering. You think, oh my God, this person of all people. But that's because they have to go through a huge amount of karma in a foreshortened amount of time. So that said, don't feel like you're being unspiritual. If you're like, oh, I'm, I'm ready to die, I'm ready to get sick, that's fine. No. The fear of death is deeply embedded in every being. If you, you, you try to kill an ant, you see it running from you. What, what to speak of a human being? All these different lives of ours, all these different impressions are deeply bedded in there. Uh, maybe 20 years ago, I, I was in Bellarmat at our headquarters, and Swami Bhuteshnadaji was, was our president, Maharaj, at the time, a wonderful, wonderful soul, enlightened being. He was just, he had such joy, and he was a great scholar, but you never know what he was so humble. And at that time, a very senior monk came to him and fell crying and crying. And he said, Maharaj, I'm so ashamed of myself. He said, no, my son, no, my son, what, what's going on? And he said that he had gone on pilgrimage up in the Himalayas. And he was in a bus. Now, if you've ever been in the Himalayas, you know that it's a bunch of switchbacks up there, dirt roads, and people get on these buses. And these buses are overloaded. They're unsafe. They fishtail. If you've ever been on one, you don't ever want to be on one again. And sure enough, this bus fishtailed, went over the embankment, and went down into the river. And this monk said, Maharaj, I didn't once think about anyone else. I didn't try to help anybody else. I didn't think about it else. All I thought about was getting out that window and getting air. He said, I am so ashamed of myself. I've been a monk for so many years. 
And our president, Maharaj Swami Bhutesh Nanaji, said, no, 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 my son. No, no, no. You have to be a highly, highly evolved soul not to have a fear of death. It's instinctual. Or that, either you're either a highly evolved soul or in such pain or so exhausted that you simply can't do it anymore. Don't feel bad. And that made a great impression on me when I heard that. Because I remember when I was like 16, I, I thought I was deep into my Vedanta, and I thought, I look, you know, I'll be fine with death because it means I'll just go to the Lord. That's until I got, until I got really, really sick with the Hong Kong virus. And then I fell. I couldn't get up. I, I actually, my parents were trying to help me. I couldn't tell them I was okay. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was dying. And I was like, oh my God, I'm dying. It's like, I, I told Swami Prabhavananda about it later. And he said, yes, yes, that is how it is. That is how it is. I said, I had a great meditation. He said, yes, always meditate with a sort of yama above your head. So what do we hear from yama? What do we hear from this king of death? Well, in the Kata Upanishad, the young boy Nachiketa asks yama about death. And yama replies by telling us about our own behavior. He talks about our behavior and our choices in life. That's kind of interesting, just a way to start. He said the good, shreya, is one thing, and the pleasant, or praya, is another. Both of these lead to different ends, and both bind. Good comes to those who accept the good, or shreya, and those who choose the pleasant, or praya, miss the goal. So praya is that which is pleasant, it's immediately attractive. Shreya is that which is ultimately beneficial. Praya is like the blonde bimbo at the bar. Praya is like that chocolate uh, fudge sundae dripping down your hand, knowing I'm going to feel like really terrible after I eat this. Shreya is the girl in the library studying hard or the, or the kid at the lab doing his work while everybody else is parting hard and IV. That's the difference. Now, what happens in Yama, what does Yama say happens to those who choose Praya, the path of the pleasant? Yama said, the hereafter never reveals itself to such deluded people. They think this world alone exists, there is no other. And they fall again and again into my clutches. Samsara. This is what we call samsara. This is Groundhog Day. They go again and again and again on this world, in this, this world, this merry-go-round of birth, life, death, rebirth again. Because their goal is no higher than sense pleasures and desires to have them pull them into another birth and another inevitable death that goes around. What Yama says next is one of the most magnificent verses in the Upanishad. He says, many are those who do not even hear of the Atman. Many, though they hear of it, do not understand it. Wonderful is the person who speaks of it. Intelligent is the person who learns of it. And blessed is the person who, taught by a wise teacher, is able to understand it. And then Yama says, the Atman is never born, it does not die. The Atman is neither cause nor effect. It is birthless, 
deathless, imperishable. It is not killed when the body is killed. And this reminds us of that famous verse in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Know the self, unborn, undying, never ceasing, never beginning, birthless, deathless, unchanging forever. How can it die the death of the body? Bodies are said to die, but that which possesses the body is eternal. Worn out garments are shed by the body. Worn out bodies are shed by the dweller within the body like garments. Our senior nun Bordaprana put that to music and as in her last, last week she sang that again and again and again to everybody who walked in. Krishna says that the Atman within us is indestructible. And he says something so wonderful. He said, no one has the power to destroy the indestructible. I think that's one of the most strengthening things that we can think about. Nothing and no one has the power to destroy that which is indestructible. Not a virus, not another human being, not a car, not cancer, nothing, not a mudslide. Nothing can, nothing, no power can destroy that which is indestructible. And one of my absolutely favorite go-to verses in that same second chapter of the Gita is, Nasato vidyate bhavo nabavo vitisaitataha ubayora pidrishtantaha tvanyosatvadarshibihi. The unreal never exists. The real never ceases to be. The wise know the difference between these two. That which is within us is real, and that can never die. The unreal never is. The real never ceases to be. And then one of the Kata Upanishads' most famous lines is, Utishtata jagrata prapyavaran nibodhata. Arise, awake, enlighten yourself by approaching the great teachers. In other words, okay, get to work. I've given you the message, Go, get to work. Human life is short. Whether it's one year, 100 years, 120, 150, it is pretty dang short. Human life is short, and His Holiness Dalai Lama never tires of saying, do not waste precious human birth. Of all the beings that we encounter on this planet, insects, crawly things, mammals, birds, how many beings on this earth are human beings that are fortunate enough to have a human life in order to realize God. Very few. Don't waste the opportunity. We've all heard what we need to know. We need to get to it because there's no time like the present. And if you don't feel that life is short now, good luck. Yama says, formless is the Atman, though inhabiting form. In the midst of the fleeting, the Atman abides forever. The wise, knowing the Amen in its true nature, transcends all grief. Now, isn't that what we all need right now? Isn't that what we want all now? We just like to transcend this grief that we're feeling, this concern, this worry, this, this heartache that we worry about the welfare of all beings. So despite this all-too-obvious fragility in life, despite the sort of catastrophic things happening around us, we have to re remain in the very depths of our being extremely calm and extremely quiet. 
we have to remember in the very deep quietness of our being that everything changes. Everything is evanescent. Everything except for the one thing that does not change, can never change, will never change. And that is the Lord, that is the Divine Mother, that is the Atman, that divine radiance within our hearts, that divine reality that illumines our understanding and that transcends everything, that is absolutely one with this infinite divine reality that cannot change, that will never change. Swami Vivekananda said, stick to God. Who cares what comes to this body? Through the terrors of evil, say, my God, my love. Through the pangs of death, say, my God, my love. Through all the evils under the sun, say, my God, my love. You are here, I see you. You are with me, I feel your presence. I am yours, take me. I am not the world's, but I am yours. Leave me not. And that's one thing we don't ever have to worry about. The Lord is never going to leave us. We may ignore him or her, but in the depths of our being, that is who we really are. We can't ignore our own real nature. That is who we absolutely are. And there is the divine waiting for us to finally pay attention. Utishtata jagrata prapyavaran nibodhita. Arise, awake, and stop not until the goal is reached. And now please join me in the final prayer. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnam Udachate Purnasya Purnamataya Purnameva Vashishate Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Sri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu Filled with Brahman are the things we see. Filled with Brahman are the things we see not. From out of Brahman flows all that is. From Brahman flows all, yet Brahman is always the same. Om Peace Peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.